The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Thrive Fantasy is a new DFS app for prop bets. And if you know anything about me, you know that I love a good prop bet. They have streamlined the drafting process and eliminated the need to do hours of research by using only top-tier athletes. Instead of the traditional salary cap DFS format, you just build your lineup around a list of prop bets. For each contest, you choose 10 prop bets, plus two extra picks that protect you from any late scratches or postponed games. Each unique prop has an over and an under point value assigned to it, and you will be rewarded that point value if the prop grades out as correct. The person with the most points wins. Peer-to-peer betting, prop betting, can't beat it. TakeCast listeners can get a free $10 credit with their first deposit of $10 or more when they enter the promo code MADDEN on sign-up. It's available in the App Store or at ThriveFantasy.com. That's promo code MATIC for a $10 credit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Masters Preview edition of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter, at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the podcast, I am joined by Joe Petta, author of a very exhaustive 2019 Masters Preview. He was kind enough to share some time with me uh, before the before the Masters came down. We talked uh, about his book. We talked about the golf course at Augusta. We talked 2019 Masters. We made some bets for the tournament, talked about some of the head-to-head matchups that are out there, and overall just got you in the mood to watch the 2019 Masters. Of course, if you want to support the show, you can always leave a rating and review on iTunes, subscribe to the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash TakeCast, and we are presented by DailyRoto.com, the best daily fantasy projections and tools in the industry. You can get 10% off your subscription there using the promo code Rory. And we are, of course, presented by RotoExperts.com. You can get 10% off of the NFL 365 package headed up by yours truly using the promo code MATIC. Now let's get into the show. All right, everyone, would like to welcome in Joe Petta to the show. He writes on ESPN. He is the author of a very interesting 2019 Masters preview where he accessed uh Strokes gained data that really has not been published anywhere else before. Joe, uh, of course, introduce uh, yourself to everyone and uh, welcome to the show. Ah, thank you. I appreciate you being on. Thank you for finding the book. Uh, yeah, like you said, it. Uh, I was a baseball writer. Um, I had written a memoir about my time on Wall Street and betting on baseball and sabermetric, uh, the sabermetric side of of the industry and sort of how all three of those topics overlapped from a critical reasoning standpoint. And while I was promoting that book a good five or so years ago, uh, I shared the stage with a a golf analytics guy, a professor who I did not know at the time, but a professor uh, by the name of Mark Brody. And he, of course, is the inventor of the strokes gained concept. Uh, And he talked on stage about his work with the PGA Tour and their data. And I just kind of filed it away in the back of my mind and thought it was interesting. But I was a baseball guy, I had a full-time job, uh, still in the financial industry, and I didn't think too much more of it until last year I decided, I started looking into it more, and I'm like, man, there's not a lot of people writing about this. I think 
it kind of reminded me of like what it would be to have been writing about the Moneyball stuff in the 90s. And I thought, you know what, let me let me dive into this. And then in doing my research, I did stumble across um, data that had really never been analyzed. It was a nice, pristine data set uh, on the master's website. Um, it took some work to, uh, you know, to compile it, but uh, it led to being able to reveal strokes gain data, um, granular strokes gain data about the masters last year. And that's something I think as golf fans, we all have been curious about, but have never been able to find it anywhere. And that became the book. That, uh, that did become the book. So right away, the first thing I have to ask you, what are some of the biggest things that you learned about the Masters when you dug into the strokes gain data? And did you learn anything that really surprised you in terms of things that we already hold to be true about the Masters? Well, we only have one year of data, so it's the, it, as far as trends, uh, it's really hard to say that. I will say I was stunned at the uh, distance uh, by which Bubba Watson outperformed all of his peers, all 87 of them, or all 86 of his peers, uh, off the tee. He drove the balls. I say in the book, this is kind of a nice summary for people who don't like numbers, but last year Bubba Watson drove the ball with the accuracy of Barnard Longer and the distance of Rory McIlroy. And that is a tremendous combination. Uh, and he was so good off the tee, it kind of makes me wonder if, you know, how he didn't win. Or, or maybe more like he squandered a three-shot advantage he had over his closest competitor uh, once he got off the tee. And yet he really couldn't do anything with it in terms of, you know, really becoming a contender on uh, on Sunday. So if that was you usually don't see any event where somebody distances themselves off the tee uh, versus the field like you did there. That's sort of something you see like a hot putter. Uh, you know, somebody goes crazy with a putter, and, and you know that uh, they've picked up multiple strokes on the field. But uh, uh, Bubba did it off the tee. So that was the big surprise. I think the – or the most revealing thing. I think what was most interesting for me also was the course itself. So when you do – all the all the strokes gain data, of course, it has to add up to zero. That's the elegance of the of the stroke gain calculation um, is that it's a zero sum calculation, so that you have an average and you can tell who's above or below. And in doing that, you you actually have to if you think about what happens there. Not only does everybody add up to zero by the end of the event, but everybody adds up to zero every day and actually on every hole and every. Uh, every skill discipline on the whole. So everybody's putting adds up to zero on every hole every day. And when you do that, when you see the adjustments needed to get to zero, you're able to say, okay, is a, how is Augusta playing versus the average PGA Tour um, hole, whether it's the putting green or, or driving? And what I found interesting was only three holes, and uh, they were one, four, uh, excuse me, one, 11, and 17, uh, actually are tougher off the tee than the average PGA Tour driving hole. So for the most part, it's easier to drive at Augusta than it is on the PGA Tour. And we kind of know that because of the, the second cut isn't, isn't heavy, rough, et cetera. But then what's really interesting is there's only three greens out of 18 that putt easier than the average PGA Tour green. And what that means is if, uh, you know, if 
essentially what it means is what is an eight-foot putt uh, at Augusta is closer to six and a half or seven feet um, on the PJ Tour. So that that's about the difference. But so it's really interesting. It is the greens there for sure that guard against low scores. I think that makes sense, sort of with how it sort of plays on television. I did have a question for you about the Bubba Watson statistics, though. Uh, uh, conventional wisdom is that the Masters sort of plays easier or or maybe is just more built for left-handed golfers. And do you think that that sort of played into why Bubba was able to gain so many strokes with, uh, well, really off the tee? Yeah, well, we certainly heard that, right, that the shape of his ball, uh, especially if you're lefty, it's an, it's an easier shape because it's a, it's a fade uh, as opposed to the, the right-handers usually have to have so many high draws that they have to uh, hit. Uh, so, yes, it, you know, that, that certainly is true, and we know, you know, even guys like Mike Weir have won there in our, you know, recent times, and, of course, Phil has some excellent success there. So it wasn't surprising to me that the course is kind of made for Bubba. It was just the... Uh, so I guess, yeah, maybe we'd always expect to see him in the, the top five or top ten off the tee. But it was the this, the, you know, the, the spread between he, he and John Rahm and Rory, who were second and three, that was, you know, really surprising that you don't see in uh, uh, on a typical PJ Tour event. So uh, another thing that sort of correlates with Bubba, because people always like to talk about Bubba having his happy places and the places he plays well, but really over sort of the last three or four weeks amongst uh, golf Twitter, there's been a lot of talk about course history being more predictive at the Masters than at most tournaments for, for a lot of different reasons. And you touch on this in the book. Uh, you talk about the Players' Championship that's always played at TPC Sawgrass. Uh, Data Golf just released a study sort of indicating that, yes, definitely course history does play more of a factor in terms of predicting the results at the Masters. Do you buy that from a, you know, a statistical data perspective? I sure do, and I love the guys, the, the two brothers there. Uh, Will, and I can't remember the other, uh, his brother's name at uh, Matt. Uh, Data Golf. I, I, Matt, exactly, yep. Uh, I, I absolutely do, and because I always kind of thought they fell on the side of uh, course history, doesn't really matter or it's really hard to measure or to find it. Um, clearly it jumped out. So I was really pleased to see that uh, they don't even, they don't dispute it at the masters. Uh, and that's kind of the way I've always thought. It's not an argument of whether course history matters at Augusta. It's how much weight are you going to put on that factor? Um, you can maybe not put as much weight as other people, but to ignore it, uh, the, you know, it is, there's such a strong correlation compared to a normal PGA Tour event from year-to-year results at, uh, uh, at Augusta that you know I, I tend to put a very heavy weight on it. Yeah, I, I've done the same thing in filling out my betting card and my DraftKings lineups for the 2019 Masters, sort of in a way that I probably would not have done uh, last year or even the year before. And I think something that's so interesting, uh, and you included this anecdote in the book of uh, Connor Cody or Connor Cody. What's it? How do you pronounce it? Uh, oh, the uh, um, uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, the last story in the book, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, Charles Cootie. Charles Cootie. So the guy who goes out and he shoots a 74 in his last ever round at Augusta. And I think, I think that, that sort of anecdote was really emblematic of what the course history argument at Augusta is. And just that it is such a different course from everything that these guys play 
every every other weekend of the year, and that really leads into the idea that first-timers can't win at Augusta, and it, this is something that's really bandied about, sort of even by people that are really in to heavy statistical analysis of uh, you know, and it does tie into the core his the course history thing as well. And uh, the number in your book is that the average winner has played seven times before at Augusta. But my current working theory is that I sort of think that now we have so many young players who are playing so well compared to how the golf scene was even ten years ago. I really think, like, sort of in the next five years, we're gonna get a first time winner. Well, Jordan Spieth certainly came close. Um, and his maiden effort, and, and he and he, he sort of fits your uh, fits certainly fits into that set of guys being better, younger uh, that we have seen over the last five years and and currently. So uh, it, it, the other thing is that it's uh, um, they they I, I do think that they work on their games to be Augusta friendly in a way that wasn't true before. Um, but I will say this. The, I think one of the takeaways from the book also is that there's no way you would have known this without the granular strokes gain data, is that when you look at the top putters last year, strokes gain putting, incredibly, number seven was Jose Maria Olathabal, who missed the cut, and yet he had five, uh, in only two rounds, he had five, a uh, total of five strokes gained putting, and Sandy Lyle was 13th with nearly four strokes gained putting, also only in two rounds. And if you looked at the final leaderboard, you see them way down at the bottom of the cut list. And yet, it shows you, even though they don't have the game to in any way compete with the current day pros anymore in terms of off the tee or, you know, their skill with, with approach shots, Oh, they can still put those greens better than than almost everybody that's still on tour, and that has to be an experience factor. Did you did your research find that basically year over year that putting perform like or or I guess would you expect that year over year putting performance at Augusta would be consistent because that's sort of the argument against weighting putting in you know betting models and daily fantasy models is just that it tends to not be a super repeatable statistic but do you think that it might be at Augusta I think maybe more so. There's no doubt it's going to regress. Um, and I, but I think the one thing people always have to remember is, uh, yes, it has, it's going to have the most variability um, and, you know, or, or largest standard deviation of all the stats. Uh, and so it will regress. But I think the one thing to remember is it regresses not to the mean, but to the player's mean. Um, and I think that we, with more experience, guys that have putted those greens the most – I think ha- are going to have a higher mean than the overall population. And I will give you one anecdote, and I don't want to say his name because he, he sent me a DM, but it's a former pro. I mean, he's still a pro. He's not in this year's field, but he's played before, and he actually said to me, do you know why the young guys aren't going to appear at the top of your strokes game putting there? And I, you know, and I said, and it was actually a rhetorical question. He answered it in the next paragraph. He said, because there's no detailed green books there, like there are on the, on the uh, uh, regular tour events. And he said, and two, you putt those greens with your feet. That's how you learn to read those greens, with your feet. And your feet need 20 to 30 rounds there before they actually can really start to know the greens. Um, so I found that you know, an, an interesting anecdote from, from a player who's you know, competed there. I mean, it makes sense to me that it is that these greens are so fast and they're so undulating that 
you really would have to play the course a number of times to learn how to do it consistently. Though I actually think one of the most challenging things about the course now is the distance. You know, it started with the tiger proofing and now they've actually lengthened another hole. They made the fifth hole 40 yards longer. And uh, this was kind of coming to me as I was reading the book. But do you think that the Masters will really set up as a place that you truly have to be able to be long off the tee in order to win. It's it's really hard for me to imagine uh, Francesco Molinari, you know, he a great winner on tour, a, 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 won a major, but it's just so hard for me to imagine him competing. Uh, I'm with you, and not uh, he's, he's one of my fades this week for sure. Um, I, you know, there's some guys matched up with him in the 72 hole matchups, uh, that I just love going against, uh, Molinari. And, um, I, I think he's an avoid in any of the fantasy things for exactly that, what you're describing. And then the fact that his course history there backs it up. Um, so I do think so. Yes. I think that it's just, just watching the course and, and realizing that, you know, hitting the, those those landing areas in the green are so small. The greens might not be small, but the places where you can actually do damage from are small. And if you've got a scoring iron in your hand to hit those greens, as opposed to having, you know, five, uh, four, five, or six in your hand to try to, to hit those greens, uh, you can see why length is so important there. That's really what I'm doing with my card and my DraftKings lineups uh, for for this Masters. Even even guys who are deeper down the card, I'm I'm prioritizing length pretty much across the board. Like I bet uh, I bet Keith Mitchell for uh, top debutant. I have and and I have a lot of wagers like that where I'm sort of prioritizing length over accuracy or any really of the strokes gain metrics, but just really looking at dudes who uh, who really get the ball out there uh, a far way. Because because I kind of think that this might be a year that it shifts even more. Like like Kevin Kisner said, basically, them lengthening that hole just adds a bogey to his card every round. It's fun. You know, I think that's a great quote. I actually, I think number five is now going to, looking at the data last year and seeing how tough a drive it, uh, driving hole it was anyway, um, I think it's going to be the number one handicap. I think it's going to replace number 11 this year as the toughest hole. Now, I've gotten some pushback from, especially from, you know, some, from respected golf writers who have said to me, oh, it's going to be exactly the same because instead of using three wood now off the tee, they're going to be using the driver and they're going to end up in the same spot for their second shot. And we'll see. I, like I say, I think looking at the t- tough driving holes right now, and, and five was tough anyway. I think like you, or I like that quote from Kisner. I think it is going to add, you know, a, a quarter to a third of a stroke on the handicap of the hole. Which is which is pretty interesting because on one hand, we think of Phil winning at Augusta, and we don't think of Phil as a super long player. You know, he's very crafty with his wedges. Jordan was never really long off the tee. Again, very crafty with his wedges. But, like, it it would not be hard for me to imagine a leaderboard on Sunday where it's Rory, it's Dustin, and maybe Jason Day is up there, and and Tony Finau is up there, and the rest of the guys are are really trailing him. Yeah, John Rahm. John Rahm is actually probably... uh, He's probably a little bit undervalued in the markets. I'm seeing him at like 18 to 1. I, I think he should probably be a little bit closer to Justin Rose than he is, considering the length of the course. Yeah, I I, I agree. And, and I think I think the outlook, I would actually love if that's the outlook on, on Sunday and those are the kind of guys we're seeing at the top, uh, I think it'll make for a great weekend. 
Definitely. Uh, so one thing that I that I wanted to disagree with you about is that you have Spieth pretty high relative to the market, and I, I wanted you to sort of explain that thinking because it, sure. sort of parsing out Spieth's performance is pretty important this week. One, because he's going to be he. I've already noticed that he's in a bunch of really interesting uh, seventy-two hole matchups on on various books where you can get money against Jordan at at prices that you would not have been able to at other golf courses and uh, also for daily fantasy I think he's a pretty intriguing question yeah I do too and and I will say this I had him 10th um, you know uh, for the uh, for the tourney at the publication for the book and the publication of the book was based on uh, the 1231 year end um, when it came out in January obviously nothing had been played or you know we hadn't been able to see the first three months of the year on tour and I, while I mentioned that the uh, he was clearly in de- decline and not just putting. I thought his course history at the Masters was going to be so strong uh, that you still had to look at him as a top 10 finisher, even even without you know necessarily the chance of winning. Now, all that said, his game has clearly deteriorated more in the last three months. And were I to republish the book, his course history wouldn't change, but his baseline would be strong you know, materially lower and no, I would not see him as a top 10. And you're right. When there was, when the, uh, uh, some of the things came out yesterday and I saw, you know, guys like Paul Casey, um, even money against, uh, Jordan Spieth and, and a couple other, you know, guys that I think should be, you know, might be some sleepers this week. Uh, my eyes kind of lit up a little too. Yeah, there are there were a couple that I have already bet against him. There was one where, uh, like for example, this is a great one: Ricky Fowler versus Spieth, including the Vig, is even on uh, on Bodog. So like that was one right there where I was just like, there there's no reason not to bet that at like a a, a decently high clip because you know anyone's numbers who were is uh, strokes gained data based over the last year is going to have Ricky as like a. I don't know, like a minus 180 favorite big free probably yeah, exactly. materially anywhere from three quarters of a stroke to a stroke better per round than speed. Yes. Uh, agreed. So another thing that I thought was interesting about your top 10 was that my pick to win and the guy who's leading the betting markets right now was not in your top 10. I'm assuming that probably has changed since the publication of the book. Yeah, he would certainly look Matt Roy would certainly uh, and 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 possibly Tommy Fleetwood too would would slip into the top ten replacing Spieth and maybe another guy. Uh, Rory's last three months have been extraordinary, uh, and he had he is you know absolutely now when you look at those three months and with the nine months before it, Rory uh, you know it's it's sort of indistinguishable over who's had the best. Um, you know, form over the last 80 to 100 rounds, whether it's Justin Rose, DJ, uh, or Rory. So, yes, that puts Rory in elite company, and I think he's got a better course history here than, than Dustin does. That said, I still think Justin Rose is the, in my mind, should be the betting favorite between those three top guys. And I have expressed that in terms of taking Rose uh, plus money versus Rory uh, for 72-hole matchups. Um just because Justin Rose has, you know, in his 52 rounds here, um, which is 13 tournaments, no cuts, uh, he has been so consistently good. Um, and probably a lot of that's the iron play, which we know he's elite at, um, that I will happily, 
you know, it's not so much fading Rory um, as it is I'll happily take a guy that I think is his equal um, and then fits this, you know, and has played better on this course uh, if I can get plus money on him. Yeah, well, the way that the markets are set up, you can get plus money against Rory with pretty much everyone. You you can you can get plus money down with with Dustin, and I mean taking Dustin as a dog really in any matchup just sort of feels like uh, the books would be giving away EV. But we got to get into some of our some of the some of the the more interesting bets of the week. Do you have any outrights, or are you mostly focusing on the matchups? I'm mostly focusing on the matchups. Yeah, I look, I I fight with the you know, even the people that run the books in Vegas that I have some relationship with, I fight with them all the time over the juice, uh, you know, that is inherent in futures markets, which I think is especially unconscionable at something like the Masters where they're going to attract so much overall money. Uh, So, yes, I still look at the futures as fun, um, and I'm certainly going to take some entertainment flyers um, that I don't on normal weeks, uh, but from terms of, yeah, where do I really think I have plus EV? It's going to be in the matchups. Yeah, so uh, do we want to go through some of the matchups that are listed here, and uh, you tell me if you like a side? Sure, absolutely. All right, so... Yeah, I got mine pulled up here, too. I got the sheet pulled up. I actually I actually made some of these bets already this morning, and we actually have, uh, have first-round three balls up, which are uh, always going to be good. But these matchups, I, I found to be uh, like there are some pretty good ones that the the books are giving out. Like for example, um, you can get Corey Connors at minus one fifteen versus Jimmy Walker. That would be an example of uh, recent form sort of overweighting a price. Like I think Walker is probably pretty good there. Yeah, yeah, it, that's that, you're right. I mean, that's the that's the test case here, right? Um, it's not that Con- Connors has really had good for him this year it's you know until he got to the Valero um but Jimmy Walker is definitely would appear to be in decline but yet he's coming to a place where I think he's played five times I think he's he's played 20 rounds in his five for five cuts there um that's a that is a that's a great test case of you know kind of current form and especially young guy um versus uh you know the craftiness of someone who has played well at, at Augusta over time and you got to wonder how much Corey Connors has left in the tank too I mean, guy, the guy should be exhausted. He's played. He's played. I, I think like eight rounds of golf in like the last nine days. Right, right. You're right. Between all the extra rounds and the uh, uh, winning the you know a six for one uh, playoff, yes, that is uh, uh, that's impressive. So another one here that I like that I actually sort of think the market might go the other way is Patrick Cantlay minus 125 versus Kevin Kisner minus 105. I actually like the Cantlay side there just based off of the length argument, though Kisner has uh, the experience, the course history angle. He has a lot of those things going into it that I think uh, some people might want to bet Kisner for those reasons. Oh no, I'm I'm with you on that one. Now I strongly back, you know, support you there. Cantley to me looks like Tony Finau and and the Tommy Fleetwood did last year. Guys that c- coming into the first major of the year, when you kind of looked at their body of work, even though they hadn't been on TV on on Sunday afternoons, you look and you're like, wow, there's some something good that's going on beneath the surface here. And sure enough, they were a fixture on the the leaderboards. Uh, certainly the top tens, you know, for the rest, for all four majors. Cantlay, to me, looks like he's setting up that same, he, 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 I think he has that same profile this year 
Uh, so, yeah, I, I certainly support him over uh, heads up against Kisner. There are two outrights that I really like, and Cantlay is one of them. Cantlay at 66 to 1. I actually think you can get him at 80 to 1 at some books, and Xander Shifley, and, and I guess Finau as well, at, uh, at 40 to 1. But those are, those are some of the tickets that I already have. Cantlay is, if Cantlay does well this week, it will be a, a very good financial week for me. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense. He's, he, he's, he has the best form on tour that casual fans have not seen play this year, right? I mean, I can't think of a Sunday we've seen him play um, where he's been in a featured group, but he just he, – he, his the consistency is there. Uh, and like you say, the, the game would appear to be ready for uh, Augusta. Um, if he makes the leap this, this week, uh, that, that, would, that would be quite a story. Another 72-hole matchup where I think there's a very clear winner. Uh, Brant Snedeker versus Webb Simpson. Webb at minus 110 over Snedeker. I think that's, I think that one is clearly Webb. I like his, his form, not only at Augusta, but just his form overall, I think is like a, a standard deviation better than Snedeker. Yeah, that Webb is, is, is a guy I did stay away from this week just because um, I, I haven't, I haven't liked his history here. Um, he's you, if you put them on a neutral course, oh, he's I think easily the uh, the better golfer, and, and you would lay a lot higher odds than you are now. So so perhaps you're getting the right price too, uh, because I, I think on on a neutral course you would have to lay a lot more um, on Webb. It's he's he's one of those those cases where I have to have some way to call out certain people. Um, and just given his, uh, his history here, that's one guy that I'm like, okay, I'm putting him in the Molinari uh, bucket and, and also fading him. So as we bring up Molinari, another interesting one, Justin Thomas versus Francesca Molinari. Thomas at minus 135. I think that if you're making the decision to correlate your card to driving distance, this one is probably a must bet, even though Justin has the wrist injury, which is why I think that this is even within 40 cents. Yeah, you're probably right in terms of the price, right? It, it, it. I wonder how much, how much of that is factored in, and how healthy he's going to be, because uh, there's, you almost couldn't pick a course better suited to separate Justin Thomas from Francisco Molinari, right? Um, so I, I agree with you. I hope he's healthy, and and uh, I hope he has a good showing. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually hoping that that he's good to go because I think he. He could sort of be someone that makes Sunday fun. We haven't we haven't really seen him in a final group, and I think that one could be pretty good. Here's here's an interesting one: two uh, two former winners, Zach Johnson, Danny Willett. Zach Johnson, a huge fifty cent favorite over Danny Willett. Getting Willett at plus one ten. I don't know if I, I'd have to go check the data golf stuff, but I, I'm guessing that this is not a plus EV one. But I might just bet Willett because I actually had him uh, at the 2016 at 150 to one. So I, I would it would be nice to have some investment in Willett this year. Well, at least he has two. You know, not necessarily on the PGA Tour, but. You know, he won their equivalent of the East Lake, uh, uh, you know, event uh, on the race to Dubai last year. So he's turned some sort of corner. And I've actually been thinking that that ooh, if there's like, you know, in, in the pools where I have to take, uh, you know, the the, the the former champs or, or the guys at the bottom, I've kind of been leaning to him in in 
his groupings just because he's shown some signs of life and he does still seem to be, re- you know, he's, he's, he's not expensive. We know that. Yeah, no, he's definitely not. Uh, I, we have somehow, we've somehow gotten through 30 minutes of this podcast without talking about Tiger. What, uh, what, what do you prognosticate for Tiger in the 2019 masters? I, I am probably, I will probably have zero investment for him and I will probably bet against him in a couple matchups, but I, I'm not planning on using him on DraftKings at all. Yeah, I think, you know, he's always expensive. Um, but I think I kind of agree. I know 538 had a, a column today that I tend to agree with. This is his last best chance, I think, at Augusta. Um, just because of the aging curve and I think of how he's coming in, I don't he has a very nice body of work over now his last 80 rounds on tour. Uh, we know he's successful here. Uh, he's never had negative strokes gained on, on a Thursday. Um, and it's, I, I, so I'm, I'm hopeful. And in fact, I I think this is the last year maybe where we can say, don't sleep on tiger. Uh, and I, I do think we're going, I do think he's going to be in the mix on Sunday. Like you, I don't think I'll have anything but a rooting interest uh, behind him. Yeah, I just I and I guess the the point that this is probably the last time we'll ever see him be able to make a run at it is true. You know, there's the health concerns and the fact that they keep making the course longer. Uh, it's not helping him out anymore because you know he's a dog uh, in terms of distance to you know all these guys really. Like he's a dog to John Rahm. He's a he's a dog to Rory. He's a dog to DJ. Like they, they play a more efficient brand of golf than he does now. Now, for sure, and, and uh, yeah, you really saw in Mexico where, which is probably his, even though uh, DJ ran away with that event, um, yeah, Tiger did a lot of good things there, but it was interesting. He was picking up, uh, he, he picked up all his strokes on people with irons uh, because they were all out driving him, you're right. Yeah, um, so we got we to get down to it. Who, who wins? Who actually, even better, what's the final group on Sunday? Oh yeah, I like that. Um, I, I'm I'll go with uh, Finau and Rom uh, in, in the final group with uh, uh, Tony finally getting to the top of the leaderboard. I would be I would be pretty happy if Finau won. The group I most want to see is I I would love to see Rory versus Bryson in the final group. Just watching how those two approach it, I I actually just love any time that Bryson is in a final group because he just annoys whoever he plays with so much, and it, it like legitimately rattles people to play with him. Oh man, I I will say what Twitter golf Twitter will be extra spicy if Bryson's in the final group on Sunday. Well, some people were able to get Bryson eighty to one tickets early in the year. They had they had they put the futures out early, some of the offshore books, and some people were able to get that down. So gambling Twitter would be pretty spicy in general if he won. <laughs> yes, yeah, that uh, uh, yeah, th- those are those are attractive odds. I assume those futures came out before he won the couple of the playoffs. Yes, yeah, uh, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, that that, that kind of makes sense. So who do you not want to see win? Who what what win would be uh, a disaster for you? A uh, disaster for me would be as if if Molinari's in the final group. <laughs> I can tell Oh you yeah, it, that, it, it's that, looking like that, that means, way for me too. Yeah, that means my weekend is not going well. Uh, I would say if it is a Dustin Rory uh, final group, as compelling television as that would people, be, people people would be that, going broke. Yes, that will that would not be good for me uh, either. 
I mean, that's just horrible for gambling. The, the, like, that likely means that they destroyed in all of their head-to-heads. It means they won all of their tournament matchups. Yep. And it means that all of your 66-to-1 tickets, they're dead. And yep. <laughs> like a major is always fun when a guy like that wins it, but no one makes any money off of those. Yep, that that's exactly right. I don't. We don't need a repeat of uh, WGC Mexico. No, we uh, we really don't. I had I was heavily invested in Bryson at that one, so I'm I'm actually gun shy. I think Bryson sets up well for this course in terms of length and figuring out uh, the angles and and reading the greens. But I it, I'm a little gun shy to go back to him based off the WGC Mexico experience. Yeah, he's. Uh, I do kind of think he's set up well too. He putted poorly last year. He did everything else well, and he's. You figure that's the kind of guy that will figure out the putting, right? Just give him some experience. He, you know, he knows where he had to work on. Uh, it. I would like to see him around on Sunday. Yeah, I would too. Uh, all right, Joe. I think I think we're good. We 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 have our winner, and uh, we've predicted our final group. Tell people uh, where they can find you. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at, at MagicRatSF. Uh, MagicRat to Springsteen reference, and SF is for uh, my home out here in San Francisco. Uh, and, you know, I look forward to the whole weekend and, and uh, uh, the book. You know, if, if, I guess we're getting near the end, so people want a digital if they grab the book. But that's uh, up on Amazon, uh, a 2019 Masters preview. And uh, I thank everyone, uh, obviously you and, and the many others who uh, – I've made the book fun and, and a success over the last couple months. Beautiful, Joe. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. Enjoy the weekend.